terms of the influence on society, we have now already seen that the removal of Donald Trump was not enough because it was not a forced removal and it was not a reckoning of his presidency, but rather a continuation of enabling in many ways. We see a lot of his effects, what many of us are calling Trumpism, continue. I believe that's very much the march toward fascism that you've been trying to fight. of the Refuse Fascism Podcast, a podcast brought to you by volunteers with Refuse Fascism. I'm Sam Goldman, one of those volunteers and host of this show. In today's episode, we're sharing an interview with Dr. Bandy Lee. Dr. Bandy Lee is a forensic psychologist, violence expert, and faculty member of Yale School of Medicine for 17 years, who also taught at Yale Law School for 15 years. She was a research fellow at the National Institute of Mental Health, a consultant with the World Health Organization since 2002, and author of the textbook, Violence. She edited The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 37 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President, and authored Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul. She is also president of the World Mental Health Coalition, which is a professional organization dedicated to the betterment of societal mental health and is forming a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to examine what happened over the Trump years and how the nation can heal from it. But first, I'll share the statement on the second Senate acquittal of Donald Trump from the Refuse Fascism editorial board. Donald Trump has been acquitted in his second impeachment but he is guilty as hell of inciting a violent mob and leading a fascist movement determined to seize power by hook or by crook. A majority of the Senate, including seven Republicans, voted to convict, but this was not enough to render a guilty verdict and open up a vote to bar Trump from ever running for office again. Trump gloated about his second acquittal, calling this impeachment yet another phase of the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country, and stating that this was just the beginning of his MAGA movement. Let's dispense with the excuse that 43 Republican senators voted to acquit because they are afraid of Trump's base. They want Trump's base. Whatever qualms a few may have about the rough edges, they represent and court a fascist base and fundamentally agree with the fascist program Trump has cohered. They are fighting for a different form of rule that relies on terror and violence and a society of unchallenged white supremacy, misogyny, and patriarchy, Christian theocracy, and vicious America first xenophobia. Trump tore up the rule book and burned up the democratic conventions in ways that fascists in and out of government in this country and all over the world want to emulate. He sent a white supremacist lynch mob to the Capitol with their gallows, their Confederate Trump flags, their false victimhood, and white rage. There can be no uniting with that. 
Now this unpunished fascist coup attempt is at once a dress rehearsal for possible future attempts to seize power in the wake of an electoral defeat and an immediate victory for fascists. The U.S. Senate has now legitimized a fascist party with a paramilitary wing. Members of the party who do not fall in line with even of its most blatant crimes are censured and worse. It can now become common practice to deny the vote, not just through racist gerrymandering and court challenges, but through mob violence. Even as the Democratic House managers sharply expose what Trump did to foment and lead this fascist coup attempt, the Democrats restrained their strategy from the beginning with the logic that they would never have enough votes to convict. They did not fight to win. Even a surprising last-minute victory when the Senate voted to call witnesses was quickly squandered in the face of the GOP's threats and intimidation. Live testimony from GOP Representative Jamie Herrera-Butler about Republican House Minority Leader McCarthy's phone call with Trump, in which Trump refused to rein in the rioters, even as the murderous siege on the Capitol unfolded and complained that the mob must have cared more about the election results than McCarthy did, could have opened up the possibility of calling other Republicans to testify and further exposing their lies about what really happened. Calling witnesses could have turned the trial into a real political fight for conviction, but the Democrats caved. Far from enabling them to get on with Biden's agenda, this has strengthened the offense of the Republic Fascist Party. This acquittal shows once again, there is no bottom to the immorality of Trump and his fascist followers. Now our side, those who aspire to a more just society have to stop putting ceilings on our determination to resist and stop this vicious American fascism. If you are heartbroken, disturbed and angered, by one more failure to hold Trump accountable for his crimes. If you are concerned about what this means for the future, if you dread the return of Trump to public life or someone even worse seizing power, then it is time to fully face the reality that this country is full of fascists. It's time for us to really get into a debate about why that is happening and what we can do to change it. And it's time to stop being passive spectators and channeling all our righteous outrage into voting. Voting alone will not stop fascism, and fascism must be stopped. Will we allow fascists to win the battle for the future with all that means for humanity and the planet? Or will we stand up? We will remain vigilant. We will organize and form action networks to be proactive and resist the continuing danger of fascism. We pledge to the people of the world, in the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Again, that's the statement on the second Senate acquittal of Donald Trump from the Refuse Fascism editorial board. You can find that statement at refusefascism.org. Now, here's my interview with Dr. Lee, a mental health expert regarding the consequences of fascist pathology and power, what happens when they are not held to account, and the way forward for us to retain our decency. 
Good afternoon, Dr. Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. We are coming together to talk shortly after Trump's acquittal in the second impeachment trial. And I was wondering, what do you see as the implications of the acquittal, not just for Trump, but for society at large? As you know, my position is rather heavy in that I'm quite let down by the acquittal, not just the acquittal itself, but by the lack of a truly vigorous fight on the part of those who are in a position now to do so, having majority in both chambers of Congress as well as the presidency. And of course, I can see why they saw perhaps little use in pursuing this when conviction would not be possible anyhow because of the position of many of the Republicans senators. But I look at things from a psychological point of view. And there were many things that could have been done. And many things that were in fact done on this round that made an effective trial very close. And yet they decided to shut it down, which was very disappointing for me. In terms of the influence on society, we have now already seen that the removal of Donald Trump was not enough, because it was not a forced removal. And it was not a reckoning of his presidency, but rather a continuation of enabling in many ways. And so we see a lot of his effects, what many of us are calling Trumpism, continue. And I believe that's very much the march toward fascism that you've been trying to fight. One of the things that we had spoken about on our last episode was had witnesses been called, had there been a real full-throated fight, it could have opened up potential and there be an opening for the people to act as well. And instead, the Democrats caved. I think some of them felt that this would enable them to get on with Biden's agenda, but it actually strengthened the offense of what I call the Republic Fascist Party. Do you see that as well, that this, whether you want to call it Republic Fascist, whether you want to call it Trumpism, do you see that being strengthened through this process, through there not being that full-throated fight? Yes, absolutely. I think we are looking at the very same things. I have often said that Fascism is not a political ideology as much as mental pathology in politics. I don't know if you would agree with that. But for me, I see the clear distinction that fascism is already going into an area of disorder, destruction, and damage to whatever society it's taking hold of. And well, this has been a repetitive response on the part of the Democratic Party and a part of our society, in that our response has been very lukewarm, and if not capitulating to the advance of mental pathology, which is how I look at it as a psychiatrist. Once pathology takes hold, then it inverts the order of health versus disease, truth versus delusion, productive decisions versus destructive ones that are espoused enthusiastically and eagerly, even as it destroys society. That's a very dangerous point to begin entering into. 
We saw this coming from the very start. Mental health professionals, of course, recognized it instantly because this is what we see day in and day out in our practice. Our work could be defined as making the distinction between health and disease, between healthy approaches and pathological ones that are eventually destructive both to others and the self eventually. I would definitely agree that this is a destructive force and there's a pathological component here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of what came up in the trial, because even though there wasn't that full-throated fight, there was an enormous amount of evidence well enough to say without a doubt that he was guilty. Raskin had quoted Voltaire during the impeachment trial, saying anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And we've seen this from Trump and his base, COVID denial and the big lie at the stolen election being two prime examples. Those are not the only ones that we could look to. Even now, the Texas disaster blamed on the New Green Deal. From your expertise, what's your take on the relationship between the absurdities and the atrocities? Most people think of the relationship between mental disorder and criminality or the damaging effects on society as being either or. In other words, when we bring up mental impairment, that automatically it it will help exonerate and should not enter into the discussion because we want the person fully criminally charged. But the third possibility is not considered, which is that the pathology actually worsens the criminality and worsens the person's dangerousness. And that's what we've seen in Donald Trump, in that his mental impairments combined with criminal mindedness have made him vastly more dangerous than he would have been having just one or the other. And so, yes, I would agree that atrocities, mind-boggling, irrational atrocities occur more when the two combine rather than through criminal intentions alone, because purely criminal intentions would benefit somebody, one would hope, based on rational decision-making. But when it's irrational and when it brings damage to all parties, then we ought to start to think about pathology. And that's where the most unthinkable atrocities can occur. I'm wondering now that we know that he won't be convicted through impeachment, that door is closed. What avenues for accountability do you see? Well, it's going to be an uphill battle, whatever means we choose. But I believe there are federal prosecutions as well as state prosecutions that are left to be pursued. And I believe they ought to be vigorously pursued despite the added difficulty that acquittal has added to them, meaning that the opposition will be emboldened, more entitled, and be further immersed in delusions of impunity and will be reinforced in their belief that threats and intimidation work. And so all those factors will have to be worked against in prosecutions. But I believe that a vast amount of evidence has also become available and has been put together through the Senate trial. At least we have gained that. And I hope that information is made use of, not buried the way that the Mueller report was buried when impeachment was being pursued. Do you think that any of those criminal prosecutions cases, do you think that if there was real thorough accountability, do you think that would have an effect on Trump's face? And what really, you know, you used the word, and I agree with it, is this delusional character that they embody. 
Do you think that if he was prosecuted and convicted, that that would make an impact? Absolutely. In fact, that is the first step toward our return back to reality. Because the greater hold that mental pathology is able to take on society, the further detached from reality we will be. And reality will be labeled fake news as it has been. And fake news will prevail as the authorized version of reality. And the first stage of reversing that would be to convict the person in ways that are commensurate with the person's crimes and to ground ourselves back in reality. That is the first step to healing. We hear a great deal about healing and reconciliation. None of that can occur without accountability. And would that be the same for the others that were involved in January 6th, any of the other people that helped facilitate that? Would you say that the same accountability measures would need to occur? Yes, absolutely. That is critical as well. To emphasize that this was not simply Donald Trump's individual action, but a concerted orchestrated action on the part of multiple individuals. And those who have designed and orchestrated the attack should be charged more severely than those who have been arrested for individual actions. You mentioned reconciliation, and there's a lot of people, understandable as it is after four years of enduring the trauma that was the Trump-Pence regime, there's a lot of desire to move on, to return back to normal. I would argue that normal was no good anyway. It wasn't normal for many, many people. It wasn't livable. And I would also argue that now it's not possible to return to normal. But for those who want to move on to get past these past four years, what do all the decent people in society have to do? What role can they play? I know that when we look at accountability, we look at those in criminal justice or during the impeachment trial, people looked at those in the Senate and there wasn't that much emphasis on what people who look at this all that want justice, what role they can play. And I was wondering how you see that, how people can be confronting this as part of moving forward. I think the American people in general may do well to realize they need to get smarter and they need to protect themselves better because there are forces out there that have even taken charge of democracy, will not allow the people's own self-governance. And I think it's important to recognize that. I, I wrote Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul over the summer, partly to prepare the country for what would happen after the election. In other words, I stated that he would likely not concede the election if he lost and that he would call it a fraud and that he would refuse to leave office and that he was capable of doing anything at all not to leave office. And so I was pretty much predicting something like the January 6th attack. But I also wrote that to help prepare the people for what was to come. In other words, that this is a long-term fight and that the people needed to take care of themselves and to look after their own interests. If we make ourselves psychologically vulnerable to, frankly, manipulation that is happening in order for the people not to be able to claim their own power and to demand their interests and needs be met. And a lot of that is being done psychologically through the use of psychological tactics and distortion of reality and disempowerment 
empowering people and making people accept conditions that should not be acceptable in a democracy. It's really, in many ways, reflective of Mohandas Gandhi's instructions for preparation, the preparation of the warrior fight of nonviolence, which is about reclaiming one's power as citizens, building one's spiritual foundation so that one could have a certainty, strength, and ability to fight the onslaught against their rights and ability to govern. I think that this building one's ability to see our own agency, the power that we have, and the power of nonviolent action is extremely important. And I I would just pair that with people understanding what it is that we confront and not being too afraid or too uncomfortable to look at what it is and that we have power when we're able to fully face It's not an unsolvable problem. If we recognize what the problem is and confront it, then solutions will follow. But there's a great reticence to even naming what the problem is. I mean, there have been countless stories of attacks on people who would bring up Adolf Hitler, for example, or Nazism in the context of the Trump presidency. Well, there are differences, of course, but there are also a lot of parallels. And if we're not willing to face the parallels, and see these common, very common patterns throughout history that have repeated time and time again, and even currently in several countries, then we would not be able to confront it. And just covering it up or or not discussing it does not make it go away. It actually allows the problem to grow to the point where it's really gotten almost difficult to contain right now. But as a psychological professional, I've always seen this as a solvable problem because we know the means of treatment and containment and behavioral management in our own profession. And personalities such as Donald Trump are actually very common, thought to be 1% to 5% of the general population, although they take on a much greater percentage of leadership positions. And that's also something that we need to address. But it's, it's not, an, not an insurmountable problem. One of the things that some people have been talking about recently in terms of how we we address this is through a truth commission or having some kind of public commission on the Trump-Pence regime's crimes against humanity, if you will. I was looking at one of your recent tweets that I found very helpful and also provocative was you wrote, we know Donald Trump wasn't bright enough, informed enough or hardworking enough to achieve all he has on his own. If there were a commission looking into his deeds, I hope it will include all the forces behind the enabling, which were probably those that did George W. Bush too. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this. If there was such a commission, what would be the focus? I'll just open it there. There has been a proposal of a 9-11 type commission for what happened on January 6th. I think the focus is a little too narrow, and I think it's a little disadvantageous that the Democratic Party proposed it. But I do think there is a need for a commission. And if one were to proceed, I, I would like to advise that it be more broad in conception and look at the much wider socioeconomic and cultural factors that played into enabling a personality such as Donald Donald Trump, who was quite clearly psychologically dangerous and mentally unfit from the start by the assessment of many professionals as well as laypersons, and also why psychological professionals were silenced during the presidency. I don't know if you were 
following or aware at all, but what is called the Goldwater Rule, which is the American Psychiatric Association's own trade association rule that no other mental health association has adopted, was not admitted to any state licensing board because it conflicts with the First Amendment and covers only 6% of practicing mental health professionals. But it was promulgated as if it covered all mental health experts that no mental health experts who would speak up about the Trump presidency could be ethical. And so they managed to exclude all of us from the major media and then were incredibly handsomely rewarded by the federal government for doing so, the American Psychiatric Association, that is, and why that kind of thing was allowed to happen. Because access to expertise and intellectuals, that is the best available knowledge, is just as important as access to facts for a population to be able to protect itself and to govern itself. So I consider it truly a matter of democracy. And when the American Psychiatric Association came out to silence us, I saw it as the first sign of authoritarianism, and it turns out to have been true. If the president were not to be held accountable for the number one issue of his presidency, many have said that his mental unfitness is the defining feature of his presidency, and I have always argued that that's the case, then he couldn't be held accountable for anything else. And that's turning out to be true, given two failed impeachments and none of the other human rights abuses, atrocities at the border, or any other criminal actions being held accountable. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Lee. It was an honor to be able to share your expertise with our listeners, because we do think that having a full understanding of what it is that we face enables us to have an opportunity to be part of the solution. Well, I'm very grateful for the work that you are doing because you are doing it on a societal basis, what we have been trying to do from a psychological foundational basis. And I think our work complements very well. I would like to add that we are working on a commission of our own. We have initially termed it Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but we will look for a friendlier name where we will be investigating on our own the psychological aspects of the presidency that have gone ignored and that have essentially spread into social, cultural, and political domains in a way that has led to fascism. Well, we definitely look forward to hearing more about that and and sharing that with our listeners. For more from Dr. Bandy Lee, visit bandylee.com. Dr. Lee's Twitter handle, along with a link to the World Mental Health Coalition, can be found in the show notes. Fascist pathology is real, but fascism is not a psychological phenomenon. Fascism is a qualitative change in how society is governed. Fascism foments and relies upon xenophobic nationalism, racism, misogyny, and the aggressive reinstitution of oppressive traditional values. Fascist mobs and threats of violence are unleashed to build the movement and consolidate power. What is crucial to understand is that once in power, fascism essentially eliminates democratic rights. Thanks for listening to the Refuse Fascism Podcast. If you appreciated this episode and want to hear more, check out previous episodes and be sure to subscribe for the latest. Wondering how you can support this podcast? Visit refusefascism.org and click on the donate button or give via Venmo, 
refuse-fascism or cash app refuse-fascism. And be sure to share this episode with your friends and family. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners. I want to hear your thoughts on this show, your questions, your ideas for future episodes, guests you want to hear. Reach out via Twitter, Sambi Goldman, or email Samantha Goldman at refusefascism.org. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Stay safe, not silent.